if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thanks for being with us as we get your day rolling at eight minutes past nine o'clock on this Monday, the 10th morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord 2020. Appreciate you being with us today. Uh, I probably am not starting your day. Hugh Hewitt probably started your day. And that's a good way to start your day. I'm glad to continue your morning and launch you into the work portion of your day. Jim Jordan, Congressman Jim Jordan. Speaking of work, he never stops working. He will be joining us this morning at 948, so about 40 minutes from right now. And I'm very much looking forward to talking to Congressman Jordan about a host of things, not the least of which is an op-ed that he and Doug Collins, his colleague, Republican colleague from Georgia, uh, wrote for Newsweek of all liberal sources. Newsweek magazine, they wrote back, uh, they uh, looked back rather at the Democrats' shameful, failed partisan impeachment from last year. And, uh, very much looking forward to seeing, or earlier this year, really, uh, very much looking forward to, uh, talking to the congressman about that. So Jim Jordan and Doug Collins wrote a great piece about that. We're also going to talk to Congressman Jordan about the ongoing violence in the streets. The potential return to school and, yes, Joe Biden's racism. We will return to that subject when Jordan joins us at 948. I'm going to start today, however, but, well, actually, let me remind you, you are also, of course, my guest. 216-901-0945, The only difference between you and Jim Jordan is he has a scheduled time. You don't. You call when you're ready. 216-901-0945. Now, moving on from that, I do want to start today with schools. As we sit, and I, yes, I will get to President Trump's four executive orders over the weekend. Yes, I will get to the payroll tax cut. Yes, I will get to Democrat allegations that he's trying to undermine Social Security and Medicare, which would make no sense whatsoever. We'll get to that. But I want to start with teachers. I'm going to talk about opening schools. I want to talk about COVID-19. I want to talk about mandatory masking of children, even though children are the least likely and least susceptible to being infected by the disease, much less transmitting it to adults. There is like next to zero evidence that that is a concern. But I want to talk about the entirety of all of this. 
Um, schools are, are getting back in session now. It's, it's August 10th. Uh, for a lot of schools, it's about two weeks away. I know for my son's school, it's about two weeks away. A lot of schools, it's one week away. Some schools in different parts of the country are already in session now. And they're freaking out. They are freaking out in many of these locations over, uh, teachers potentially getting sick. And teachers, uh, don't want to go back into the class. We told you last week, in fact, surveys of teachers nationally show 65% of them don't think there should be person-to-person, meaning in-class, in-person school, that there should be a very limited amount of contact between students and teachers, and there should be a massive amount of online instruction or virtual learning, right? 65% to 35% uh, felt that way. That's a pretty strong statement that they don't want to be in classes, teachers. Why? Well, I suppose there are a lot of reasons. Some might have a legitimate fear because maybe they're elderly and maybe they have comorbidities or they have, you know, uh, uh, underlying health conditions that make them a little bit more nervous about going out into public and contracting the virus. To those people, I would say if you don't want to stand in the front of a room and educate children who are at least six feet away from you and six feet away from others, from one another, then I hope to heck you have never gone into your local grocery store since this thing started. I hope you have not gone into a restaurant since this thing started. I hope you have stayed quarantined in your home. Because if you are willing to go out into public places, but not willing to go stand in front of a classroom of kids, then you're a giant hypocrite. All right? But let us just say for the moment that there are some who do have legitimate concerns, okay, because they have certain comorbidities and so on. I hope you're taking care of yourself. Good luck to you. The vast majority of the rest of the teachers, and I've heard the statistics of the average age of teachers, uh, over over 80% of them are under 55. And the, the uh, virus, in terms of its attack on the most vulnerable, really doesn't kick in until around age 70. At 70 and over, that's where the vast majority of hospitalizations and deaths have come from. So teachers really are in no more danger than a lot of others. They are still, uh, you know, when you look at the reasons why, you know, there's, there's still reasons to believe that they just have political motives in mind. The teachers' unions, the NEA, for example, that's the National Education Association, the OEA, the AFT, that's the American Federation of Teachers, they're all notoriously leftist. They are notoriously anti-Trump, and they are anti uh, uh, American capitalism, quite frankly, and the American economy, at least if it's right, being run by Donald Trump. They want liberal Democrats in control. That's what the NEA does. And one of the things that they think will help get liberal Democrats in control is to continue to crash the economy. Schools are closed. Kids are home. Kids are home. Parents can't work. They have to stay home and watch your kids. Parents can't work. They can't make money. They don't have money to spend. Economy crashes further, and uh, they get their wish in, no- in November. So you can ascribe various motives to them, but what you can't dispute is that, again, that 65% number is legitimate. And here is just an example. This is one example. How extreme are they in trying to avoid going back into the classroom? One Florida teacher in Jacksonville, a public school teacher, whose name is Whitney Reddick, went so far as to write her own obituary and submit it and post it on Facebook. She wrote her own obituary just in the event that she dies when she walks back into that classroom of radioactivity. 
With profound sadness, she wrote, I announced the passing of Whitney Lee Reddick. A loving and devoted teacher, mother, wo- daughter, wife, aunt, and friend to all whose lives she touched on August 7, 2020. She left us while alone in isolation and on a ventilator at Duval County Hospital in Jacksonville, Florida. She returned to work, did her best to handle all the roles placed on her shoulders, educator, COVID security guard, human shield, <laughs> firefighter, social worker, nurse, and caregiver, but the workload weakened her and the virus took hold. Being so young, his memory, uh, she and her husband recently had a baby in June. Being so young, her memories, uh, his memories of her will fade, and he will only have those that were captured on film, she wrote. She went on to ask readers to send their condolences to Governor Ron DeSantis and to Jacksonville Mayor Lenny Curry and to the Duval County uh, School Board and Superintendent for daring to open the schools again. This was her way of protesting the reopening of schools with in-person education. Pretty clever, pretty unique, and pretty stupid. Let's be honest with you. I would again say to this teacher, if you can be spotted or if you were spotted at any point in the last four to five months of COVID, rampant COVID fears, if you were spotted in any public location, then you need to apologize and you need to admit your hypocrisy. If you can stand in line behind a bunch of people at your local grocery store, your Walmart, or your restaurant to pick up food to take home, or whatever the case might be, if you can go anywhere in public for your own personal satisfaction and feel not like you have to write an obituary for yourself, then you can sure as heck go into your classroom and stand six feet apart from your students, all of whom are being made to wear masks, by the way, And if you're a liberal educator who believes in the masking of America, which most of them do, then you believe those things will protect you, remember? You don't wear the mask for yourself. You wear it to protect the people around you. This is what we're told, right? So those students all wearing masks are going to be protecting you. You have nothing to worry about unless you are exactly the hypocrite that I say you are. Now, I use Whitney Lee Reddick as an example of teachers who will do just about anything to avoid having to go back into the classroom in order to set up Michael K- or Matthew K. Matthew K is a teacher in Philadelphia. Matthew K is an example of teachers of a teacher and I believe there are many of them who would do just about anything to avoid virtual teaching. So you've got some who will do anything they can to get out of going back to work in the classroom, others who don't want to have to teach online by way of Zoom or other video methods to reach children who are safely quarantined in their homes now. Why? Because they don't want to be exposed for who they are and what they are. Matthew Kay is a teacher at Philadelphia's Science Leadership Academy. He also does teacher training and advocacy around anti-racism. In a 2019 interview, this particular teacher, Matthew Kay, said, quote, To teachers who see race and feel no need or desire to bring it into their lessons, 
I earnestly ask, why don't you? There are few viable reasons why one would not wish to insert race into any particular classroom conversation. End quote. So in other words, this man is a professional race baiter, and he's an educator. He inserts race into every classroom lesson that he possibly can in order to do what? To divide. This is an educator now, a teacher at Philadelphia Science Leadership Academy, but you can't just insert race into the conversation and into the lessons. You also have to agree with his particular woke interpretation of how to discuss race. And if you don't, this very same T3 teacher, Matthew K., wrote, quote, sometimes you've just got to step over them. In other words, those who disagree with his opinions about race and racism will be stepped over, perhaps stomped on. One would think that includes students. If you're a student in Matthew K.'s class, you, do, you agree with what he says or you get stepped over, plowed over. This is what social justice warriors do. So what does this have to do with virtual learning? It has this to do with virtual learning. Just two days ago on Saturday, Matthew K. tweeted the following. So this fall, virtual class discussions will have many potential spectators, parents, siblings, etc. in the same room. We'll never be quite sure who's overhearing the discourse. What does this do for our equity and inclusion work? Tweet 2. How much have students depended on these somewhat secure barriers of our physical classrooms to encourage vulnerability? How many of us have installed some version of what happens here stays here to help this? Tweet 3. While conversations about race are in my wheelhouse and remain a concern in this no-walls environment, I'm most intrigued by the damage that helicopter-slash-snowplow parents can do in honest conversations about gender and sexuality. And while conservative parents are my chief concern, I know that the damage can come from the left, too. If we are engaged in the messy work of destabilizing a kid's racism or homophobia or transphobia, how much do we want their classmates' parents piling on? If your mind is kind of uh, racing right now, and maybe the smoke is coming out of your ears, you're not alone. Shortly after making those tweets public, he privatized his Twitter account because he had opened a hornet's nest. Or he had poked a hornet's nest, I suppose I should say. He had poked a hornet's nest, and he had opened a Pandora's box. Let's get our metaphors correct here, right? People now have an insight into the minds of these leftist indoctrinators. These are not teachers. These are not educators. These are indoctrinators. And they're worried that if they have to teach virtually, parents can listen in to the indoctrination. And perhaps stop it. And perhaps end it. Permanently. Because I can tell you this. Now, let me back that up. I can ask you this. Will you listen in to your children's lessons if they are being taught online? I hope you will. And I hope if you hear the type of indoctrination over 
homosexuality or sexuality or uh, transphobia or racism or race baiting or social justice or wokeness. If those kids are be if those uh, things are being pushed upon your kids, I hope you will work to end it. But this is very very dangerous. I don't know if your kids are safer in school or at home now. Let's talk about it together on AM 1420, The Answer. Bob France, here on AM 1420, The Answer. Anybody else just a little bit wigged out by that? You know, we always talk about this. You know, I know what they're doing to our children. They're indoctrinating our kids. You know, and and we kind of know because we see what our kids are saying when they get home, especially at the college level, right? Especially at the college level. Your kids come home on break, and you, you don't even recognize the kid who walks through the door, looks and sounds nothing like the kid that you dropped off a few months ago. But to get inside of these institutions where they're not allowed out without being literally brainwashed with the woke um, information of the day or of the period, you know, the social justice messaging. And you wonder, how in the heck did that happen? Well, you know, they've got to be brainwashing my kid. They've got to be indoctrinating my kid. It's one thing to know that it's happening from the result, but it's another thing to hear it from the mouth, or in this case, from the tweet of the uh, indoctrinators. They don't want to teach in person because they're afraid of the virus, wink, wink. And they don't want to teach, they don't want to teach virtually because they don't want parents to hear what they're saying. Those tweets are terrifying. Matthew R.K., who calls himself a, um, well, he works for as a teacher for the Philadelphia Science Leadership Academy, but he calls himself an expert and trainer in anti-racism and apparently believes that you must inject race or racism into every lesson. Now, mind you, this guy is a teacher at the Philadelphia Science Leadership Academy. He's supposed to believe in science, yet in his fourth tweet of his thread, which has since been made private because people have seen now what he is up to, And you just wonder how many other thousands of teachers are like him who believe that it's their job to indoctrinate kids into the woke perspective, to indoctrinate kids into the social justice perspective, right? But in the fourth uh, of his tweets, uh, he brings up uh, homophobia and transphobia so clearly because he says that we are engaged in messy work of destabilizing a kid's racism or homophobia or transphobia. By the way, I don't know what age he teaches. Since it's the Science uh, Leadership Academy, I'm going to assume it's probably secondary. It's probably junior high or high school, not primary education, K through 6, but I don't know. But if it is K through 6, I'm a little bit concerned, and we know there's a reason to be concerned about this too, because in many public schools... We have seen curriculum that is indeed teaching young K through six kids who have no earthly idea that there's a difference between them and somebody else who is a different color in their classroom, teaching them about slavery, 
and teaching them about systemic racism and teaching them about gender roles and teaching them about trans uh, uh, transgendered people choosing what race or uh, what uh, sex you want to be, et cetera, et cetera. Young children have no earthly idea, but they're being taught this stuff. So this guy is obviously a believer in transgenderism as being normal and transgenderism as not being a mental disorder, that dysphoria is, uh, is, is something that should be accepted and encouraged rather than being treated. This guy is the anti-science. He's teaching at a science leadership academy, and he's anti-science. Chromosomal science, what's that? Anatomical science, what's that? Physiological science, what's that? We have, no, we have no reason whatsoever to believe in those sciences because transgenderism is, is normal. There's nothing wrong with that. There's people who just don't understand what they are, but we, we encourage it anyway. Is there any wonder why this guy would be worried that parents might be listening in as he encourages race baiting and calls kids homophobic and transphobic if they don't repeat back to him what he says about those subjects? Is there any wonder they don't want to do virtual teaching either? I got to tell you, I can't blame them. If I was trying to brainwash a bunch of kids, the last thing that I would want is for their kids' parents to hear it. You can react after the news. 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110 on the Bob France Authority. I guess what I'm asking you as we continue now at 936, if you're a parent, do you trust your children in the care of today's public school teachers who are members of today's public school teachers' unions? Do do you trust your children in their care? And I'm not talking about health-wise per se. I'm talking about mentally, I'm talking about psychologically, I'm talking about the damage that can be done by woke messaging from liberal indoctrinators who have been given license to fill your heads with whatever they doggone well please. I just find this fascinating and disturbing, terrifying, all at the same time. This is just one small look inside what I believe is a widespread problem. A liberal teacher saying, I will push racism, and I will push transgenderism, and I will push uh, sexual orientation lessons into all lessons, even if they have nothing to do with what I am talking about or what the lesson calls for, and I will make sure that they repeat it back correctly. And in order to make sure that I'm not interfered with, I will tell these children, Say nothing to your parents about this. What happens here stays here. What we talk about here is not mom and dad's business. You just listen to me. That's going on. How do we know? Because he said so. That was tweet number two. How many of us have installed some version of what happens here stays here to help this? He asked. This is incredible. And that's why they don't want to teach virtually. They don't want parents sitting in the other room or maybe on a chair at the same table listening in to the instructions of these indoctrinators. Do you feel safe with your children in the care and in the position of being uh, indoctrinated by the modern... And by the way, I want to make this clear because I have a lot of friends who are teachers. I used to be one. 
I was a classroom teacher for the first six years of my career out of college before I got into radio. So I, I, I understand that there are a lot of great teachers out there who do want to just teach and educate on the, the subjects that they are supposed to be talking about who are not going to be forcing their social beliefs in children, into children's ears and minds. So this isn't all of you. Please don't under, misunderstand. To great teachers all over this listening area and really all over the country since we're online and you can listen by way of your, your, uh, um, uh, social media devices. To, to those of you who are doing it right, God bless you and thank you. To those who are pushing this type of message, that they're, it's so bad that they literally don't want parents to hear what they're saying, um, we've got problems here. And if you're a parent and you're not aware of this, you need to be aware of it. And you need to, need to start solving those problems. You need to get into your school board meetings. You need to have conversations with principals. You need to have conversations with superintendents. You need to have face-to-face conversations with those teachers themselves. They have been trying to hide this for a very long time. That's why they, this particular teacher wrote, how many of us have what ha- happens here stays here, rules in place here. Don't bring the parents into this. Don't let parents offer contrary messaging. Kids, keep your mouths closed about what, what is said here. We've got this, and we'll talk again tomorrow. This is exactly what they're terrified of, is parents finding out. And so for that reason, and maybe only that reason, maybe we should be a little bit uh we should be a little bit um less angered at the impact of COVID nineteen. Let's put it that way. I certainly would never say I appreciate a disease or a virus that is taking lives and causing all of this havoc, but if it does, maybe there's the silver lining to it as a massive now five month long dark cloud or six months or whatever it's been. Um, but if there is a silver lining, maybe it's we're opening up there, pulling back the curtain, if you will, on what's going on in our schools. BJ is in North Olmstead on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, BJ, go ahead. Thank you, Bob. You have been extremely profound in the last couple of months, not that you weren't before that, but I think your awareness and I think your background and your education and that you played sports and all these things. The real question is, why would these teachers be indoctrinating what has come into their own minds, and I think that's the real concern. I I am a very strong believer that there are two things that are going on. There's social awakening taking place, and there's spiritual awakening. When I refer to spiritual, I'm not talking about specific religions or churches. I just feel it's a very strong spiritual awakening. This, this year, 2020, and this virus that's been here, these are wake-up calls. These are awareness calls, and people are becoming more aware. The year of the mask, look at the behavior with people and what's taking place. It is your generation. You are a future grandparent, you are currently a parent, and you've raised children. It is your voices in your age group. You are the most dynamic age group there is. And, and it is fortunate that we have your thinking going on currently, because we are on the throes of uh, something very, very different taking over America. And is, is it worth fighting for what we believe America was? It certainly was for us military men way back when, and I hope it is continued. You're doing a wonderful job, Bob, and you're waking a lot of people up and continuing. God bless you. And I, I'm not going to be calling in for a while. I'm going to be listening, because America is in your hands. 
thank you for listening, and God bless you. Thank you. God bless you, BJ, too. And believe me, I know you're listening because I do get your off-air messages when you sometimes call, so I do certainly do appreciate that. And, yeah, I concur. We do have to ask ourselves, why are they doing this? And I think there is just a lot of it. It's just this is the culture of the moment. Politics and leftism versus right, uh, you know, left wing versus right wing or conservative liberal. Uh, this is this is who they are and this is what they are. Perhaps more so than ever before, though they feel the need and they feel compelled to act on it. I, I was in the NEA and I was in the OEA back in the early nineties. That's the Ohio Educators Association and the National Educators Association, the unions, and I knew what they were all about then. I didn't care as much because I was much more. Um, politically agnostic at the time. I was actually a registered Democrat because I was fresh out of college and I was just like mom and dad were. Mom and dad were registered Democrats, so I registered Democrat. And I voted Democrat because I wasn't paying a lick of attention to anything that was going on in the world at the time. But I was a member of the OEA and the NEA and I heard what was said at the meetings. And as I look back on it now, I should have been just appalled. But it wasn't being implemented and inserted into the curriculum as much as it is today. That's the real issue here, is that they are taking their long-standing liberal progressive beliefs and now forcing them upon the children. They're not just an activist organization in a general sense. They are taking the fight into the classrooms to win the hearts and the minds of your children, to turn them away from what you perhaps have taught them in the home. And that's, that's the difference. All right, it's 944. We'll take a time out here. Congressman Jim Jordan joins us. Then we've got open phone lines the rest of the day on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 948, now we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. It is Monday, and you know what that means. It is Jordan Day on AM 1420, The Answer. That's Congressman Jim Jordan, Ohio's 4th Congressional District Representative, joining us to discuss all things going on on Capitol Hill. Good morning, Congressman. How are you, sir? I'm fine, Bob. Good, uh, good morning to you. So I have in front of me, Congressman, uh, a very interesting op-ed that I read over the weekend uh, that you and Doug Collins put your heads together to come mm-hmm. up with, looking back at the Democrats' failed partisan impeachment. The first question I know that people are going to have about this as they read this is, is why does it matter now? Or is it in Hillary Clinton's best voice, what difference does it make at this point? <laughs> what happened back? No, it is important, seriously, because of uh, you know what just happened over the course of the last several months when they tried to boot the president from office over this hoax over this this ridiculous yeah. you know uh, um, Ukraine nonsense is going to drive how they treat the president in an, in, a, in a in a subsequent term and it should drive how every member of Congress treats subsequent yeah. presidents no and, and it and it's indicative of how they're beginning to treat Bill Barr they're, you know they, they filed articles of impeachment against the Attorney General uh, we did this largely because Norm Eisen, who worked for Jerry Nadler uh, had made some had written some things and said some things about the White House counsel's team and we just wanted to set the record straight and he was talking about you know that that somehow Pat Silbin, who who argued uh, on behalf of the president with mm-hmm. the White House Counsel's Office, that he wasn't accurate when he said the president was denied due process. When in fact we all know he was. When Schiff ran this thing in the in the in the bunker in the basement of the Capitol, didn't allow the president to call witness, didn't allow the president to have counsel in there to cross-examine witnesses. So 
so and, and on and on it went. So we just thought we would just remind people after Norm Eisen brought it up uh, how wrong he was and how wrong the whole Democrat and Jerry Nadler and Adam Schiff operation really was. And, and frankly, we should never forget, when they spent so much time on that, maybe we'd have been a little better, uh, a little more equipped and maybe saw what China was doing, figured out how China was lying to us with this crazy coronavirus, too instead of having, uh, for the first part of this year, being focused on this crazy impeachment process. That's a very good point. But, but the, the, you know, the, the larger thing here, too, is the president has said there are now two different events that have happened, <clears throat> excuse me, in the president, President Trump's administration, that he has said, and he's 100% right, should never, ever happen again to another American president, the Russia hoax, and this impeachment Ukraine hoax. I mean, yep. nobody, no president should ever have to try to govern and lead under these kinds of nefarious activities being pr- uh, practiced by you know, the Department of Justice, yeah. the FBI that was weaponized and so on and so forth by uh, these liberal Democrats in control of Congress. This is this has to be instructional to make sure this never happens again. Well, yeah, exactly right. No president have to go through this. This president had to do, endure more attacks from the mainstream press, from every single Democrat and frankly, from a handful of Republicans, too. So what he's had to go through is, 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 is frankly, unprecedented. But also there's the, there's the point we've talked about a lot of times as well, Bob, the idea that if they can do it to a president, if they can go with the whole, the whole Trump-Russia crossfire hurricane targeting spying on a president of the United States, on a presidential campaign, imagine what they can do to Bob France, Jim Jordan, or the people that I get the privilege of representing or the people you get the privilege of talking to every day. So that is, to me, the bigger concern. It's terrible what the president had to endure. In spite of what he's went through, he's had amazing results. But the biggest, the biggest concern is, if they can do it to a president of the United States, if they can do it to a three-star general like Michael Flynn, they can do it to anyone in this country, and that is frightening. Well, you know, you mentioned his name, so, you know, this is their next target, of course, is the Attorney General. They're terrified of Bill Barr. And that, that's why they yep. refused to let him speak in your hearing two weeks ago. They did not want to hear from him. They just wanted to sit there and yell at him and try to turn that into a, you know, to an anti-Trump, pro-Biden campaign commercial. But they are terrified of Bill Barr. Is there a legitimate chance that you think they move for impeachment of him? Should he no, still be no. the Attorney General after November? Yeah, they'll, they'll do it. They'll do it second term. You know it. The president, I think, is going to win. You know, the, the more I'm out and about around Ohio, I was all over our district last week. I'm going to be all around our district this week. When you talk to normal people, you get out of D.C. and talk to normal folks who live in the Buckeye State, who, who just just regular families, you, you get the, the strong feeling the president is going to win, and I think he's going to win, win Ohio big. So when he does, in the next, in, in the next uh, term, in the second term, they're going to come after Bill Barr. And they're coming after him because, of, I, I said this last week in the hearing, or two weeks ago in the hearing, they're coming after him because he used the word spying. He had the courage to say what they actually did. They spied on the presidential campaign. They did it multiple times. They went after Carter Page. They went after, they went after Papadopoulos. So he had the, the, the courage to say what they did, and they said, well, we can't have someone actually calling us out, particularly the Attorney General of the United States, and they've been after him every since. No question about it. And now they, they've got more to go after him on. He, uh, he made some very strong statements in an interview, a long-ranging uh, interview, wide-ranging interview mm-hmm. he did with Mark Levin, in which he talked about uh, the urban guerrilla violence uh, is, or guerrilla tactics being used um, in the left's uh, insatiable thirst for power and lust for power. Yep. They are willing to sacrifice people's lives, people's property, businesses in American cities in order to create and destabilize uh, the country enough that uh, they think the country will say, well, we can't yeah. have this anymore. Let's, let's go ahead and vote them in. I, I know it's it's completely counterintuitive to say let's reward those who are supporting the insurrection, but that's what they're counting on. Yeah. No. Again, Bill Barr is willing to say it, say it plainly, say it straight, call it what for what it is. 
when he when he said what's going on in so many of these big urban areas, particularly Portland, Seattle. It, 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 just to just say it, it's the truth. I mean, he's the one who talked about Antifa is a terrorist organization. He's the one who said, but for federal law enforcement being in Portland, the the courthouse would have been burnt down weeks ago. So he's willing to call it out, say it like it is. And again, that's what drives the left crazy. They they can't have someone actually stating the truth. They can't have someone pointing out to the American people what is really happening in these cities. And the radical left cancel culture mob who wants to. We saw the best example over the weekend. The cancel culture mob is so intense, they're now suing the NRA. So, you know, in 2012, it was, it was uh, the Obama-Biden administration going after the, the, the Tea Party group before that election. And then in 2016 is what we just talked about. It was the Obama-Biden Justice Department going after the Trump campaign and spying on the Trump campaign. Here we are now in 2020. you got this radical stuff going in the city. you got the attorney general, radical leftists in New York going after the NRA and people who support the Second Amendment. This is what the left does, and Bill Barr is willing to call it out. Congressman Jordan, you are obviously in the House of Representatives, which means you are among those who control the purse strings. That's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, yet your leadership has just been completely abject in their in their uh, 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 in their responsibility to provide relief to the American people during this COVID crisis that has damaged our economy in such terrible ways. So the president said, "If you're not going to do it, speaking to you and everybody else in yep. Congress." Uh, I'll do it. Four executive orders over the weekend, expanding unemployment benefits and uh, giving a payroll, t- giving payroll tax relief through the end of the year. The liberal Democrats yep. are saying he can't do this. It's unconstitutional. And you say what to them? I, th- I think that I think the president of the United States is, is, is looking out for the American people, the American families. And he's and he's saying, look, uh, if, if Nancy Pelosi is going to insist on some three, four trillion dollar ridiculous package, all kind of left wing crazy things in it. Uh, we're just going to say, sorry, we're not going to go down that road. That's, that's wrong. And we're going to do, consistent with the Constitution, we're going to do an executive order, which allows us to do some things on the payroll tax, which allows us to help with unemployment for those, for those families and individuals who aren't quite yet back to work. Help with them, but also incentivize the states to have to do something. You talk about, uh, th- that's the part I like about this executive order the most is when he said unemployment, we're going to have states have to kick in some of that money. And because states have to kick in some of this bonus uh, unemployment money, I think it creates an incentive for states to say, let's get back to work. So instead of all these blue state governors continuing to keep their state locked down, there's an incentive to get people back to work. So I think it's a good move. I think the American people understand that. Of course, the Democrats are going to yell and scream about it. They are, and and my concern is obvious here. You know, when when it's done by one side, it's going to be done by the other. Are you worried about the next time there's a Democrat president and you, as a responsible House member, are trying to be fiscally, uh, you know, responsible and not give yeah. trillions of dollars away? That a a Democrat is going to rise up and say, by executive order, I am taking your authority away from you to handle the purse strings, and I'm doing this. Um, that's that's always yeah. a worry, isn't it? Well, I, there, there's always that concern, but I, I trust the White House counsel. I spoke spoke with uh, Chief of Staff Meadows uh, a couple times over the last week about this issue, and uh, the, the White House counsel thinks that they are consistent with the Constitution in the way they've structured this limited time. It's, it's, a, it's a deferral on the taxes. It is an unemployment uh, with the unemployment insurance. I think it's done the right way. So I, I'm, I'm comfortable with what the president's done. Again, I think when you look at what Barack Obama did, President Obama did, when he basically said uh, uh, with the DACA decision, you know that was unconstitutional. I see these as different. I see these consistent with the Constitution, and I support what the president's done. Uh, I do, too, and I hope it stands. Uh, What will be the procedure now for them to try to stop it? 
Well, they got to get something passed and signed. And well, I do you think they, they will try to, to stop that. it? Yeah, I, I apologize. I probably should, probably should have said, do you think they will? Steve Mnuchin made a great point yesterday. He said, you know, you're, you're going to have to answer to the American people if you really want to try to uh, file a lawsuit to try to stop the president from sending this very badly needed relief to the American people. Yeah, of course. Uh, you, of you course. Know, you, so, you know, maybe they won't. Maybe politically they realize this is a loser and they let it go through. I think that's probably probably the case. I mean, they can they can try to bring up some. You know, they can pass something again in the House. They passed their their three trillion dollar bill uh, a few weeks back, so they may try to pass something different. Who knows? They 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 could get the votes in the House because they have a majority. But I don't see it going uh, getting passed in the Senate. And certainly, the president wouldn't sign it if it's not consistent with what he put forward uh, in his executive orders. Two months ago, the Democratic nominee for president told a black man that if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Uh, a couple of days, bef- a couple of days ago, he told a black reporter uh, who asked him if he had taken a cognitive test, "Have you taken a cocaine test? Are you a junkie?" And now he said this about African Americans. Unlike the African American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things. It's the same man who also said that Barack Obama was the first clean and articulate black man to ever run for president. Um, Joe Biden has a race problem here. Do you think America is finally starting to wake up to that? I think he's got uh, every time he talks, he says something that's crazy. Um, and and we're, we're now because he's beginning to venture out of the, the, the his bunker in the basement of his house. Uh, we're the American people are starting to see. So, uh, again, I think there's, there's you know, he, he said something ridiculous it seems like every other day and i think it also just underscores if this were a republican making these kind of ridiculous statements oh, uh, oh my goodness oh my goodness they, it would be it would be wall to wall hour after hour minute after minute on on, on television and radio and everywhere else all, all throughout the media talking about it but because it's joe biden and the democrats are uh, there's this double standard with the mainstream press you just don't hear much about it but um i think it's starting to get through and this election is quickly becoming a choice. And, you know, for, for so long it was a referendum on president. And now it's moving to, no, you're going to have to vote for, for President Trump or for Joe Biden. When people look at that, I think you're going to see more and more people begin to move to President Trump. And I think he's, as I said earlier, I think he's going to win re-election. Congressman, before you go, Joe Biden has continued to push uh, down the road his choice for a running mate. He, he, you know, was supposed to have been weeks ago. Then it was supposed to be last week. Now it's this week. I, he, I don't think he, I don't think he has very many good options here because hasn't he kind of painted himself in the corner? I said I'd pick a woman. I have to pick a woman. Now everybody wants me to pick a woman of color because of what's going on in the country right now. So he's really narrowed yeah. his choices to some really bad choices. Well, yeah, and I think, again, uh, the longer he puts off making the choice, like once he makes the choice, it's sort of settled down. You know, it's, a, it's, it's Biden-Harris or Biden-Rice, whoever he picks against, against Trump-Pence. And again, it, it, it shapes it up more and more as a choice versus just this referendum on President Trump and his administration. So I think he keeps putting it off because they've kind of liked the idea of him being in the bunker in the basement of his house and running a campaign like that versus actually happen to get out there and say, oh, here's the choice for America. So I think that's a problem, too, for him. And he realizes the longer he can push this off, the better. And that's why, you know, each day goes longer. He was supposed to announce this like a week and a half ago. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes a little longer before he makes this election. I wouldn't either. I would because I think you're 100 percent right. He he does not want to. He does not want to have to come out of the bunker and campaign with whoever it's going to be, and actually be much more visible. He's so much of a better candidate when you yep. can't hear him or you can't see him. Uh, Congressman Jordan, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. You bet, Bob. Take care, uh, brother. That's Jim Jordan on AM 1420, The Answer. It's 10.01. Let's get news now and your calls after AM 1420, The Answer.